Good morning. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here at uh, Community Church, and thanks so much to Brad and the team for leading us in worship and, and, and praying for us. Here at Community Church, we are a community who sees and shares the hope of Jesus together. That's what we're about. And part of that sharing is we want to be able to share that hope of Jesus into our community. And we talk uh, here at Community Church about a couple different bridges of, of outreach into our community. We'll, we'll frequently talk about our family ministry and how we're connected with families and students in our community. And we'll, we're, we're, we've been in a series where we've been focusing on gospel conversations and how we can share that hope of Jesus. Uh, another bridge, though, that we often talk about is uh, a bridge of mental health. And we live in a time right now where there's profound um, crises of mental health. And uh, we're taking a little baby step in that direction here in a couple weeks. February 24th, we're going to host a conference in partnership uh, with a a group of local pastors and some mental health professionals uh, that's called With the 20. And With the 20 20 represents kind of 20% of adults uh, experience some kind of mental health illness. And uh, on the 24th, we're going to have a a conference, and the conference is called Embrace, and we're we're hosting it. We've got some mental health professionals who are believers who are going to be sharing, and uh, it's called Embrace, how to support uh, youth in in, in mental health. And we're going to have some breakout sessions around uh, how to support families and caregivers. We're going to have a student panel. We're going to have uh, uh, a session around mental health and technology, and then um, so an opportunity to learn really some some practical uh, tools and, and how to help people in crisis. So great opportunity to come on the 24th, a great opportunity to invite uh, somebody to come with you. Okay, again, it's, it's just an opening of some conversations and some tools that might be helpful uh, for you. If you've got somebody in your circle who's student, youth, uh, any kind of mental health issues, again, it's a good, easy first step to take. So uh, would you pray with me as we uh, enter into God's Word? Father, we thank you. Oh, do we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your presence. And Lord, as we come into this place with different emotions, some have had uh, joyful weeks of celebration, others uh, have had disappointment, others come in pain, others are still mourning, others are just really tired. So Lord, whatever we bring into this place this morning, We want to submit to your word. We want your word to be our teacher this morning. I pray that my words are clear, that they're helpful, that they're true, and above all, that they bring you glory and honor. Ask that you burn off whatever doesn't do those things. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, this morning is a little bit of a unique message. We've been, we're in the final week of our series called Why 
Jesus. And we've had kind of the why Jesus that's based around uh, these opening verses in Luke's gospel, where Luke says he set out to write an orderly account and he, he gathered the eyewitness testimony that we might have certainty about our beliefs. A certainty that's both a safety and a security that whatever life brings, we might have that foundation. So there's kind of this why Jesus that's kind of academic and it's intellectual and it's answering all my questions, but it's also the why Jesus that's personal, that meets us where we are in the midst of whatever we're going through. In the last couple of weeks, I've invited you all to uh, submit questions, and I have the perfect answers <laughs> to every single one of your questions. In the next 36 minutes, I will answer every question that you've ever had about Jesus. That is not true. But I want to give you an on-ramp to how we might approach questions, how we might think through, how might we use God's Word to deal with questions. And as I was thinking about questions, um, uh, just kind of hit me in the face the last couple days. Uh, my wife Kim and I, we've had our granddaughters. We usually have them a couple days a week, and it's kind of that nice like 8 to 3.30 shift. We've had them overnight the last, and you say, oh, and it's kind of like, oh, but it's also, oh, because they don't sleep all that well. You ever had those days where you've had more cups of coffee than hours of sleep? Raise your hand if that's you today. That's me today, so if I say something heretical, I'm going to apologize in advance. No, but uh, my, our, our, uh, see, we're Gigi and Pops, and uh, our oldest granddaughter has lots of questions. Everything is why. Why? Why? Now, there are different kinds of whys. There's the, the birds are flying out of the bushes. Why? Well, maybe they're going to get a worm to feed their family. There's a Hey, you need to eat your eggs before you have veggie straws, whatever those things are, for breakfast. <laughs> Why? Because I said so. <laughs> the things that you quickly resort to. But there's another kind of why. And this hit us yesterday as we were um, visiting my uh, in-laws. Why is Paul George in a wheelchair? Oh, it's a factual question. Why is Paul George in a wheelchair? Because his legs don't work anymore. That's a true answer. But as you hear that, and you think of your own life experience, there's something underneath that question too, that she and her two-and-a-half-year-old brain is not quite processing yet, but we look around and, why does that have to happen? Why does everything break? 
We're going to dig into some of those types of questions today, but I want you to think about questions about Jesus, questions about faith, because sometimes questions are just curiosity. Why do the birds fly out of the bush? It's a fair question. There's the the questions around obedience. (laughs) Why do I have to do this? But then there's the questions that come from a deep level of pain. And there's a question underneath the question that is really asking God, if you're really good, if you're really in control, why would you allow these things to happen? So a variety of questions today. We're going to lean into some of the, uh, the heavier ones. I won't get to all the questions probably, but I want to address a few that I believe uh, the Lord has put on my heart and has come through multiple, uh, multiple angles. I want to start, though, with an approach to questions. Okay, as we've said in our series, about 25% of the church seems to be deconstructing in some way. They're dismantling, they're, they're asking questions, and for some, there aren't sufficient answers to those questions, and people are walking away. Others are, you know, they check the nuns or the duns box with church. I don't have any affiliation with church anymore. And at the same time, there seems to be statistics that suggest people are more open to spiritual things. So both the, the negative data and the positive data, how do we meet the moment? As a church, okay, it's a great challenge, great opportunity for us. So not only what we say, but how we say it, how we approach it, really matters. All right? So I want to share a passage with you that is going to be a guide for kind of the how. I want to take you to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. This is Peter. He says this. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. I want to make a few observations about this particular passage as we consider how we approach the questions that we have, our family members might have, our friends might have, our coworkers might have, questions from those who are following Jesus at some level and some who are not. So how do we respond to these particular questions? 
First point I want to make in, in light of this passage is a general observation about the Bible and suffering. Most of the Bible, when you really think about it, most of the Bible was written by the suffering, for the suffering, and points to the one who suffered for us. Most of the Bible, when you really think about it, I'm not saying every verse of every, but, but I mean, when you really think about it, you look at the Psalms, you look at the time of exile of the Old Testament, you look at Paul's letters, you look at the Gospels, there's a lot of suffering. This isn't just find a verse about suffering. The big picture of the Bible has to do with suffering. Peter brings this out. Another observation, our questions tend to focus on the relationship between our pain. Anybody ever experience pain? Deep pain. There's all kinds of pain. There's physical pain. There's emotional pain. But a connection between our pain and our ability to know and trust God's character. That's what it's about. How do we make that connection? How do we reconcile our pain, our challenges, our despair, and God's character? Peter says, in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Even as we get into how we answer questions, our preparation for questions, this truth, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Let that sit on you for just a minute. What does that mean? To revere Christ as Lord is to say, I'm going to submit to Jesus. I'm not going to simply lean on my own understanding. How many of you find that incredibly easy to do? I'm simply going to trust God, not my own smart thinking. I automatically do that. As I think about responding to my granddaughter, <laughs> I wonder how God thinks of my question sometimes. I wonder how God really, now here's the difference. I mean, the analogy works at some level because I know more than my granddaughters. Gigi knows more than pops. We know more. We have a different perspective. We can see more broadly. But we're also finite. We're tired. We can lose our patience. Okay? And I'm reminded of my own finitude, my own limitations, and the intellectual gap between Gigi and Pops and our granddaughters compared to the intellectual gap between us and God, not even close. Let that sit for just a minute when you really think about that. 
So the battleground, really, even as we enter into these questions, is in our heart. And we talk about the heart from a biblical perspective. That's not just my emotions. That's not just my feelings. That's the deepest part of who I am. That's my heart. So it's an opportunity to grow in our trust. Peter's teaching also encourages in this way, live in such a way that people actually ask you the question about the reason for the hope that you have. I believe our actions in other people's minds probably mean as much as our answers. I love how Peter puts that all together. Our character matters. It's also personal in this sense. Part of what Peter's saying is, look, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Now, I love reading books. I love reading theologians who've thought about these things. There's no, there's no new question under the sun. People have been debating the questions we're going to talk about uh, for, for hundreds of years. There's great academic answers to that. There's great ways to think through that. On our prayer card today, I've given you a bunch of resources that you can, you know, podcast and, and websites and books that I think have been really helpful for me and I think would be helpful for you, whatever your questions might be. All right, Pastor Dean's going to lead a great class called Reason for God coming up wonderful opportunity to dig into some of the meat of those answers and our testimony matters the way you and I walk through difficult situations matters when we hear this teaching though it doesn't mean we have to put on a pretty face and say, everything is perfect. Look at me, praise God, everything's wonderful. Can you mourn? Can you be anxious? Can you have fear and trust God at the same time? Yes. Yes. There's an authenticity that we ought to have. I can mourn, I can rejoice. There's a point where Paul says, I despaired of life itself. This is Paul. Look at David in the Psalms. But there's a hope, there's a joy that will ultimately come through. There's also a gentleness and respect that comes through. One translation says respectful humility. I love that phrase, respectful humility. As we've talked about the last, last few weeks, let's, let's be aware of what room we're in, where we are with people. Are we right in the middle of, are we in the hospital room where there's grief and, and crisis, or are we more in the podcast room where we're, we're, we're talking about life? Let's be aware of that. And then let's look for what's the question underneath the question. 
And it usually has to do with the character of God. And then how can we faithfully point people to Jesus? So that's what this is ultimately about. Is how, how can we take any conversation, any question, and begin to walk towards Jesus in a conversation with somebody? All right, well, let's get to the questions. Let's go. Let's get to the questions. All right, first question. Question number one, why does God allow such pain and suffering to occur? Does everything happen for a reason? And will I get an answer when I get to heaven? How many of you have wondered any of these three questions? Only a handful. So the rest of you got it all figured out. Okay, but how, how do we come to terms with these questions? Well, let me point you to a few places. Now, here's the challenge with answering questions sometimes. My time is limited. I want to point to some verses, but I want to be judicious in how we do that because here's what we can do sometimes. Sometimes we can pick out a verse here, pick out a verse there, and kind of put it to whatever I want my answer to be. All right, I want, to, I want to give you a little bit more meat than that and help us think through. So I'm going to take you to one, a, a few passages here. I want to take you to Romans 8. Now, there are clear passages in the Bible, and sometimes there can be more cloudy passages in the Bible. I want to try to take us to some places, I think some clear teaching, and then make some observations around that. I want to take you to Romans 8, 18. This is Paul. He says this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. I want to pause here. We live in a fallen world. Our bodies are breaking down. Our minds are breaking down. The creation itself is breaking down. Cancer is real. Heart attacks are real. Broken bones are real. There's a reality to suffering here. And part of this equation is we live in a fallen world. The Bible is crystal clear on that. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all, who hopes for what they already have, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We often talk here about, and theologians talk about the already and the not yet. 
Jesus has already died on the cross. He has already forgiven us of our sins once we put our faith and trust in him. He's already risen from the dead. But he has not yet returned. He has not yet made all things right. So we live in the in-between, between already and not yet. Pain, fatigue, all these things are real as we look forward to the ultimate hope that we have. Okay, we need to get that, we need to get that right. Verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless, wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. How many of you have heard that verse before? That's a famous one. People want to cling to that, trust God, but it comes after Hey, we live in a fallen world. Things are broken. We're in the already, not yet. This verse does not mean every prayer will be answered exactly how I want it to be answered. This verse does not mean you will be perfectly healed in all ways. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, Graciously give us all things. A couple points just to emphasize here. One, as I've said, the objective reality of suffering. Unless Jesus returns, everybody in here, you're going to suffer and you're going to die. You don't know when. You don't know how. I'm not wrong on that. (laughs) There's lots of things I might say I might be wrong I'm not wrong on that. There's also the objective reality of hope that's rooted in Jesus' death and his resurrection. But friends, you got to see this. There's also the personal experience of God's presence with you. The Holy Spirit that is interceding on your behalf. The Holy Spirit present at creation indwell in you when you put your faith and trust in him. Now, we need this to have a way to think about our suffering. All right? Now, if somebody says in the hospital, hey, why did this have to happen? I wouldn't read the whole chapter 8 of Romans, okay? But you need to have, I mean, we want to be prepared so 
you've got to wrestle to the ground. I've got to wrestle to the ground. You've got to have a theology of suffering. As I look around, I know some of the stuff y'all have been through. And it's really hard. How do I make sense of the hard things of life? Some of you are right in the middle of it. You're right in the middle of tough diagnoses, tough things people you love. How do you make sense of suffering and God's goodness? Reality of suffering, reality of pain, reality of fallen, fallen world, hope in Jesus presence of Christ right now. All three are true. All three are true. Now, will we get answers when we get to heaven someday? I want you to think, I mean, really think about that. How many of you want that? You want answers. Seriously, you want answers. Why back in whatever, 19-whatever, did this happen? Now, let me, I'm going to push you a little bit on this one. I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. You may think, why is he going to 1 Corinthians 13? This is the love chapter, right? You hear it at, you hear it at weddings. Even though it's a little cliche, I, I was three out of three on my kids' wedding. We, we, we did 1 Corinthians 13 every time. It's the love chapter. But at the end... Paul says this, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Look at verse 12. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Someday, face to face, face to face. With Jesus. Have you thought about that? I mean, face to face. Face to face. Now, I want to take you to Revelation 21, verse 1. John has this revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I want you to picture that for a moment. I want you to imagine that. And then let me ask you this question. Would you rather have Jesus wipe away every tear or give you a thousand-page document 
that says, here's why this happened back in 1983. Which would you rather have? Which would you rather have? So he said, I don't care. Give me the document. But think about what's underneath that. Here's my sense. When we're face to face, when those tears are wiped away, I think I'm going to say, you know what? That question doesn't quite mean the same thing that it did. Face to face, he'll wipe away every tear. What a hope. And that hope's real. And may we lean into that presence. I still want answers sometimes. But I'll take, I'll take the wiping away the tear every time. Now, question. I have 15 questions, so we're going to be here all day. I'll get you home by the Super Bowl, I promise. Who's going to win this? No. I don't, I don't have that direct line there. Okay. <clears throat> Question number two. How do I overcome my fear and trust that God has a plan for my life? How do I overcome that fear? I'm going to be a little quicker on this one. Okay, how do I overcome that fear? All right. Now, I can, I can quote you uh, 2 Timothy 1.7. And say, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and self-control. Different translations will word that a little bit differently. That is true. But how do I actually grow in that? I can't pronounce that to you. I can't hit you over the head and say, now you don't have any fear anymore. I can memorize that scripture, which is a good thing but it may not automatically take away my fear. So what do I do? I want to give you a simple, and I know some of you are dealing with hard stuff. Okay, This is a Henry Cloud, John Townsend little formula that's always been helpful for me, and I'm going to give it to you now if you haven't heard it already. But growth equals grace plus truth plus time. Grace, truth, time. What is grace? Well, theologically, it is God's, it is unmerited favor. It's God giving us what we need that we can't do for ourselves. It is help from the outside. Grace can come through people. 1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. God uses people to administer, to distribute his grace. Grace is a mindset. Grace is an attitude. I didn't earn it. I can't just pull myself up by the bootstraps. Truth. What is truth? Well, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Ultimately, it is grounded in Jesus There's also the truth about myself. There's the reality. If I step off a roof, what will happen? I will fall. It's a law of cause and effect. Okay? I can pray to God, but if I step off that roof, I'm going to fall. 
There's a reality to life. There's a reality of how we think. There's a reality to God's Word. How would I expect to think more like Jesus if I didn't read His Word? How would I expect in the moment to respond in a Christ-like way if I hadn't hidden any of God's Word in my heart? How would I expect to have self-control if I'm trying to do it on my own and not praying in the moment? There's grace, there's truth, and there's time. What is time? Time is a process. Time is a process. So how do I, how do I grow? How do I overcome fear, grace, truth, time, process? right habits, right thinking. God doesn't just zap us. He can deliver us, absolutely. I love the Dallas Willard quote that grace is not opposed to effort, only earning. That's what it's opposed to. Okay? Okay. I'm going to read these questions to you. And I'm going to give like super quick answers, and then I'm going to spend some time on the last one. Okay, the next one. Can Satan physically hurt us or our loved ones to keep us from following Christ? Okay, write these, write these passages down. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, there's a reality of the spiritual battle that we're in. Second Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, 10 we see that the Apostle Paul, and if you're an Old Testament scholar, you know Job, where, where Satan has inserted himself into their lives, okay? I'm not Paul or Job, neither are you. That's possible. But I love what C.S. Lewis says, you know, there's two equal and opposite errors with, with Satan sometimes. One is to think he's behind everything. And the other is to turn him into a cartoon. Okay? The good news is God's grace, grace is always sufficient, and he always gives us a way out. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11, another great passage to write down. Okay, so you've got those, those three passages. All right, I'm going to skip to the last question. I want to give you a, a, another way to think about this. Question number six. How do I start a spiritual conversation with someone who doesn't seem to be interested in God or who doesn't go to church? It's a great question. How do I do that? I want to give you a proactive way and a reactive way. Proactive and practical right away. There's something going on at 6.30 tonight, right? The Super Bowl. You're going to see our culture on display. You're going to see commercials. You're going to see a halftime show. You're going to see a ritual of idolatry at the end of that game. They're going to carry the Lombardi trophy, and it looks like a modern-day idol. Everybody is bowing down to the idol. Okay? 
one of the questions you might ask somebody, now, you don't have to get hyper-spiritual right at the beginning, but just ask somebody what they, what they thought of the commercials, what they thought of the halftime show, what they thought of that, and that might open up an opportunity to talk about identity, about purpose, about belonging, okay? about values. Why does the whole world gather around for this? Of all the things, why is this? Now I'm a football guy. I'm not hating on, on the game. But why do we put so much value? It's a great conversation. But the other one is, the other one is this. Um, and this is, this is a prepared example. Uh, several years ago, I was, I was teaching high school. And... Um, one of my fellow teachers, I was department chair, this younger teacher, coach, guy I'd actually coached as a player. One of his students died by suicide. And, he, and it was one of those situations where the kid submitted a paper at midnight. That was the last thing that he did. Horrible. Horrible. Teacher came to me, friend, you know, he said, hey, this is what my students are asking me. They're saying, hey, is this the unpardonable sin? Is this the unpardonable sin? And he came to me and says, hey, Jason, I, I know you're a spiritual guy, me not so much. How do I answer that question? Public school, big school, kids asking questions, teachers asking questions. What an opportunity to step into that. Now, I could have said, you know what, here's my answer, and here's three reasons why. Okay, I didn't do that. I did say this, I said, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches, but you know what, what do you think, and would you be open to having some more conversations? It was a bridge which led to multiple months of Bible study, which led to looking at God's Word, which led to a different way of thinking than what he had had going into it. Whatever the question, can we take that question and turn it into a conversation that ultimately points to Jesus? So wherever you are, whatever your context, may we be prepared to point people to Jesus. Amen? Well, let's pray and prepare to come to the table. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, we ask that you bend our hearts towards you. That as we wrestle with our own questions, as we look to be helpful to those who are struggling, clear away the space in our own hearts so that you may speak clearly. And Father, now as we prepare our hearts to come to the communion table, We ask that your spirit would, would quiet our hearts for a moment. And Lord, as we prepare to come to the table, we're reminded, even in the midst of our own suffering, that you are the one who suffered for us. We remember that on the night that you were betrayed, 
you broke the bread and gave it to us and said, do this in remembrance of me and you. In the same way you took the cup that represents forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, in the quietness of our own hearts, may we remember and even now, may we reflect. May your spirit search our hearts and examine us. Show us where we're off. Show us how we we may lean closer to you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When you're ready, come. The table's open.